0: Welcome to the Equifax Credit Talks podcast. My name Elise Glank, and I'm a best-selling author, financial expert, and CEO of Best Money Moves, a financial wellness technology company. Eight weeks into the coronavirus crisis, and the economic fallout continues. More than 36 million Americans are out of work right now, and that's probably undercounting things. Around four million Americans have put their mortgage payments into forbearance meaning they don't have to make a payment for the next 180 or 360 days. Most federal student loans are in forbearance automatically, and millions of consumers have called their credit card companies asking for relief. Almost half of all households have experienced a loss of cash as part of the fallout, and that includes plenty of white collar jobs, even in critical areas like healthcare. It may not make you feel better, but everyone is going through what you're going through right now, financially, emotionally, you're not alone. We're all in this together. Everyone I know has been touched by COVID-19 in some way shape or form. Equifax is a leading credit reporting agency and last month the company launched an extensive COVID and credit financial resource center and you can find it right at the top at equifax.com. This podcast is part of the effort to help expand your access to some of the leading financial experts in the country as well as some of Equifax's own subject matter experts. We're going to discuss real world financial solutions and share resources for people just like you who wanna protect their credit and manage their finances through this pandemic. What we're going through right now, it can seem overwhelming, but trust me, we're gonna figure this out together. In this episode, we're gonna talk about how the pandemic has affected the automotive industry with Jonathan Smoke, chief economist of Cox Automotive, an Atlanta-based holding company that includes Kelly Blue Book, X Time, Auto Trader, and Mannheim Auctions. But first, let's talk about credit freezes with Beverly Anderson, president of the Equifax Global Consumer Solutions Division. Hi, Bev. Welcome back to the Credit Talks podcast. Hi, Elise. Nice to be here. So last time we talked about how long the lines were at the San Antonio Food Bank and at other food banks across the country. And what I heard this week is that there's just so much waste in the fields, good food that's being plowed under or dumped because there's no way to get it to consumers, that the government is going to buy it from the farmers
1: and distribute it through food banks. Listen, anything we can do to support families that are going hungry right now is really important. There's just so much need out there. But even with all of this help, people are still hurting. There's been a lot of reporting on how the coronavirus is exacerbating America's hunger crisis, and it's clear that food banks and the SNAP program are overwhelmed.
0: You're absolutely right. The Brookings Institute said that nearly one-third of kids under 12 are hungry now. And last week, I spoke with a woman outside of Cincinnati, and she runs a school district lunch program, and she told me that they've packed up over a quarter million breakfasts and lunches for their kids in just the last eight weeks since school closed.
1: I heard Congress has a bill right now that would authorize the USDA to be a matchmaker between milk producers and the food banks. I really hope this will happen.
0: I hope so too. As you said, the need is absolutely enormous. So another need that people have is cash to pay their bills. The numbers this week uh, were crazy and there's some concern now that we're looking at in another few weeks we're gonna hit 25% total unemployment, Great Depression era numbers for sure. And even though cash is in short supply, and even though we're seeing the number of people opting for mortgage forbearance go up, and while people are spending 40% less on their credit cards that we heard than they were a year ago, we're also hearing stories about phone lines being jammed with borrowers asking for some sort of help, and we're starting to see delinquencies go up. And so we got a question on the Equifax Facebook page about delinquencies and credit freezes that are going together, and I'm wondering, can you take a stab at those?
1: Sure. Let me talk about credit freezes. Delinquencies and credit freezes are very different. So let me start with credit freezes. Um, This is also known as a security freeze and it lets you restrict the access to your credit report. That makes it harder for uh, identity thieves or bad actors to open new accounts in your name. It also makes it more difficult for creditors to get access to your credit if they're trying to give you more credit or approve you for a new account. If they can't see your report, then they may not be able to extend your credit. So while your report is frozen, lenders who don't already have a relationship with you are not able to pull your credit report and to provide you new credit. And maybe that's what you want. What's nice about a freeze is that it prevents many, but not all, third parties uh, to access your reports. If you already have a relationship with a lender, a freeze generally won't keep them from the ability to look at or pull your credit reports.
0: So my current credit card companies could still talk to me, right? That makes total sense. Does a credit freeze have anything to do if you have a delinquent
1: account? So this is an area that causes great confusion for consumers. A credit freeze is very, very different from having a delinquency on your account. How so? A credit freeze is a security tool. So it doesn't alter any information on your existing credit report, such as the delinquent account. It won't prevent negative information from being reported about any of your current accounts, and it also doesn't excuse you from making any required payments on any open credit account. And while your information is frozen, you'll still be expected to keep up your payments on any bill that you owe, and whenever you unfreeze your report, it won't change the fact that you are delinquent on some accounts.
0: All right, so if it's not directly affecting delinquencies, what should you do if you are delinquent with one of your credit accounts?
1: Well, if you're struggling with delinquent accounts or worried that you won't be able to keep up with your payments, reach out to your lenders directly and make them aware of your current situation. Many lenders are aware of the challenges facing people and are working with them on payment plans and ways in which they can alleviate some of the burden. We also have a lot of information in our COVID Plus Credit Financial Resource Center at Equifax.com. Information, tips, advice, and options for you as you're thinking about how to manage your financial situation during this incredibly difficult time.
0: Is there an easy way that somebody could place a credit freeze,
1: Beth? Sure there is. If you go to Equifax.com and scroll down to an area that says Place or Manage a Freeze, and then just follow the instructions, you'll be able to place a freeze on your account. When you set up a My Equifax account, then you're able to manage the status of your freeze or permanently or temporarily remove the freeze if needed. But remember, we can only help you place a credit or security freeze on your Equifax file.
0: Right, so it doesn't place a freeze on any of the other credit reporting agencies. That's correct. You'd have to work with them directly. Uh, Great information, Bev. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. I want to welcome Jonathan Smoke, Chief Economist of Cox Automotive, an Atlanta-based holding company that includes Kelly Blue Book, X-Time, Auto Trader, and Mannheim Auctions to the podcast. Jonathan, welcome to Credit Talks Podcast.
2: Well, thanks, Elise. It's good to join you.
0: <laughs> it's nice to have you here. It's been a while since we've actually talked, and I, I think there's a whole lot going on in your world of automotives that I, I think would be really important for people right now. So let's start with what you're seeing with regards to the pandemic recovery. What do you, what do you see going on right now?
2: Well, the market was absolutely hard hit. You know, when the pandemic really started to unfold and the lockdowns began in the United States, uh, the auto market was down about 80 percent. And it really looked like it was going to take months uh, for, for us to see any recovery. But lo and behold, the bottom really looks like it was clearly in April and in the first half of April and we've really been seeing solid recovery and traction uh, every week and virtually every day of each new week, such that, you know, as, as of today, the used market is, is only down single digits, and the new market is down by only about 32%, we estimate. So it's, it's really been a solid recovery.
0: That's pretty good, because a couple of weeks ago, I think I read some news reports that said that new car sales might be down as much as 800,000 units.
2: Yes, it was looking far more likely that this was going to take several months and that may would actually be the bottom uh, and not April. So this is happening much, uh, much more quickly. But if you think about it, this is typically the busiest time of the year for total vehicle sales. Uh, It is absolutely the months of March, April and May are always the biggest months for used vehicle sales. And it's right up there in competition with the end of the year for new, new vehicle sales. Um, So there's a lot of people that typically are planning on buying, and they weren't able to do that in March or April.
0: That sounds like they're making up for it in May. Do you think you're going to recover those lost sales? You're just going to get them a little, little later in the year, maybe?
2: I think some of them will be recovered. I mean, clearly there are a lot of Americans that are being negatively impacted uh, with with job losses, even if they're temporary. And so it's not the perfect time to be making a big ticket purchase. And and since most vehicle sales also involve financing, it's not the best time if you're uh, unemployed. Uh, So we think some of those sales won't be converted, but at the same time, There appears to be some demand that's not pent up that's simply a reflection of a lot of households taking stock and realizing that they don't want to be putting uh, any of their members of family on public transportation or other forms of shared transportation. So suddenly having a vehicle and having the right vehicle may be influencing some people to buy as well.
0: So I'm seeing some good deals out there. Uh, Do you think the car manufacturers are helping things along a little bit with, I saw 0% financing for 72 months. I've I've seen some other really good opportunities.
2: Yes, most definitely. If you're in the market for a new vehicle and you have great credit, uh, that's probably the one thing that I can unequivocally say, this is a great time to buy. Uh, We saw the share of 0% finance deals in April jumped to 21% of all of the sales, which is astounding because in February it was only 2%. That's definitely a motivating factor, but again, you're not gonna qualify for those great deals unless you have great credit.
0: Right, so um, let's talk a little bit about credit and interest rate, because you know, as with houses, the higher your credit score, the less you're gonna pay in interest, the better terms you're gonna get. What's What happens when it's vehicles?
2: Well, it's the same, but if you can believe it, it's even more dramatically different. Because you, you know, you and I first met when I was working in real estate, and I thought I completely understood all all parts of consumer credit. And then I uh, spent a few years in automotive, and and really understand uh, how much uh, the credit score plays a role in a in a wide range of interest rates. Uh, so, for example, if you're subprime. Uh, In the month of April, the average used vehicle loan rate for a subprime borrower was over 20%. Wow, that's pretty high. Yes, that's pretty high. And the new rate was over 18% if you're subprime. Hmm. So compare that to those who had great credit and were able to get 0% APR. There is an enormous advantage uh, to getting a, a better credit score.
0: How often are people buying new cars or new used cars?
2: That's a great question. The percentage, you know, last year we had roughly, when you strip out the sales to fleets and companies, uh, we had roughly about 44 million total vehicle sales. So that would suggest that the average household is probably in the market to buy uh, about once every six years or so. Of course, there's quite a bit of a spectrum on that because some people are trading frequently, uh, especially people who al- always finance vehicles through a lease. Uh, they, they are on a treadmill that basically ensures they're going to be releasing at the end of that uh, maturity. Uh, those who are taking out long terms, like you just mentioned with the zero AP, APR deals, those are the ones that uh, quite often aren't trading as rapidly.
0: It's all kind of interesting. I mean, we're the kind of people who keep our cars for 12 to 15 years. I mean, new car manufacturers have to hate us, but you know, the idea that you're going to keep a car over the long run is something that was ingrained in me as a way of saving money. And so, of course, I passed that tip along. But one of the things that we're seeing more of, in addition to these leases, you brought up something that I had not even heard of, which is subscriptions to cars. Is that like Zipcar?
2: No, Zipcar is more of a form of vehicle sharing, if you will, more of a short-term basis by which you have access to a vehicle, much like a rental car. This is a scenario where a vehicle um, is yours by the month, um, and there's a whole variety of options you can have in that. It can be a specific vehicle uh, that you, in essence, are, are subscribing to per month or it could be a range of vehicles that enable you to change the vehicle based on what you know what you're doing so you use a sedan when you're driving to work or dealing with traffic and when you're driving to the beach you you know take out the 8 seat SUV so th- there's a big big option and that's definitely the the new innovative form of getting access to a vehicle and it and it has some compelling Economics to it that, from my perspective, over the long term are really going to make it uh, the preferred option for a lot of consumers.
0: Hmm. It's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see what percentage of people are doing that right now. Is it super tiny?
2: Oh, yeah, it's super tiny. It's less than 1%. Essentially, we're in the early stages of a lot of manufacturers and a lot of dealers doing tests. And so it depends on where you are in the country. Uh, There have been, uh, I know there have been active uh, subscriptions here in Atlanta. A portion of Cox Automotive uh, actually created this genre, if you will, a few years ago. But we've also got uh, experiments happening with the rental car companies. Uh, I believe both Enterprise uh, and Hertz have had tests going in a couple of markets in the country. Uh, And then we have dealer groups in certain regions that that represent multiple brands that seem to be having a lot of success. So I know they're, they're in places like North Carolina, Texas, Pennsylvania. Uh, so you, you're, you're going to increasingly hear more about them, I believe.
0: Now, what are you seeing in terms of delayed or missed payments for automotive? I know for housing, we're seeing now about 8% of homeowners who have gone into a forbearance program. Credit card companies' lines are jammed, people calling, asking for help. Just wondering, you know, autos are not an inexpensive proposition for people these days. What are you seeing?
2: Yeah, no, no they are not. Um, the average uh, new vehicle payment is, is getting close to $600 a month uh, mm. when, you, when you combine uh, all of it. Uh, so the latest data, and just got this today from Equifax, they're tracking that just over 5%, 5.1% so far of auto loans have gone into some form of accommodation. Now, they're technically not calling it forbearance uh, because forbearance was uh, an actual status that was, in essence, uh, legalized uh, through the stimulus bill uh, and applies specifically to certain forms of mortgages and uh, student loans because the government plays a role uh, in backing or ensuring those specific loans. Uh, but in the case of automotive, it's more of something that the lender has has willingly done uh, for the circumstances that the consumer is in. So we're up to a little over 5%.
0: And it looks also that many car leases or vehicle leases that were due to mature in March to May have been extended. What does that look like?
2: That's actually one of the things that I think is going to be important to take into account about what the supply is going to be later in the year, Uh, because you're absolutely right. Uh, Effectively, the lease maturities that were due in March and April and and we believe uh, the same kind of volumes will extend into May have basically been extended where the manufacturer reached out to the consumer or vice versa and it was in both of their best interests to extend the lease and we think the average extension has been about 90 days because people uh, well, certainly back in March and April didn't, didn't even want to contemplate how were they going to interact and return the vehicle, uh, but also the manufacturers didn't want to have to deal with receiving those vehicles back. And we happen to be at the time of the year, since it's typically the time of the year where the most vehicles are being sold, so the numbers roughly work out to just shy of 400,000 uh, vehicles in each month should have been reaching the end of their lease, uh, and instead, they have been postponed. But by the time we get to roughly August or September, those extensions are going to be added to them, uh, which means that there's going to be a lot more people that are shopping for a vehicle. But at the same time, we're going to have an, uh, you know an increase that's going to be pretty substantial in the wholesale supply feeding the used market.
0: It'll be interesting, though, because you're kind of time shifting something that normally happens in the spring to the fall. It may never go back again.
2: Yes, because there's some absolute (laughs) seasonality to the vehicle market. And I can tell you that that's very poor timing for the finance companies behind the manufacturers because vehicle prices, vehicle values, which factor into their future leases uh, and into even the credit access that the average consumer gets is weaker in the fall time frame because after Labor Day, we see a substantial drop in used vehicle sales. People are doing things with kids back to school, with focusing on uh, getting ready for the holidays. Yeah, Maybe Christmas before. is coming. That's right. Or competing <laughs> with new models coming out on the new vehicle market. It's uh, the weakest time of the year. So values do not perform well typically in the months of September or October. Uh, so the manufacturers are really uh, being dealt a bad alternative here. But for consumers, it potentially could be a good alternative because we believe that retail prices on used are going to be gradually coming down until we get through that uh, period. And so that means there's going to be a lot of selection uh, as well as, uh, you know, good prices.
0: So that's great. If you need a new car or a used car, try and wait until these leases start coming up and you'll start seeing deals in the early fall.
2: That's true for used, but on (laughs) on the new side, Um, actually, I think supply is going to start to be a problem before we get there. Um, Because if you think about it, every factory in the world that produces the vehicles that we buy in the United States have been shut down for weeks. And it's going to take months for those uh, factories to get up to production. And because of new safety protocols uh, and issues with their suppliers on down the supply chain, uh, we probably aren't going to see the level of production that we've enjoyed for the last several years. So it might actually be hard to find the new vehicle you want in a few months. If
0: you can't afford your car loan or car payment at the moment, any advice on what
2: you should do? You should a- absolutely reach out to the lenders um, because it's it's clear that they are working with consumers by the percentage that we see, uh, and we know that uh, the the lenders are trying to respond. But as you mentioned earlier many of the finance companies are overwhelmed with the volume of people reaching out to them. Uh, so I'm afraid you have to be persistent um, in, in many ways to, to try to get through. I don't have direct evidence of that, but I'm assuming uh, that the same issues that we hear about happening on the credit card and mortgage side are likely to be happening with many of the auto lenders.
0: Good advice. Jonathan Smoke is chief economist of Cox Automotive. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Well, thanks, Elise.
0: Well, that does it for this week's Credit Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Please visit the Equifax COVID and Credit Financial Resource Center at Equifax.com. And remember, if you do sign up for your My Equifax account, you get six free copies of your Equifax credit report each year, and you can easily turn on or remove a credit or security freeze. If you see something that appears to be inaccurate, you can dispute what you believe to be inaccurate or incomplete we'll be back soon with another Equifax Credit Talks podcast. I'm Elise Glink. Thanks for listening.